The timing was pretty crazy. I published this on April 19th. On April 20th, I show up to work the next day and HR calls us into the conference room for just a meeting kind of out of the blue. And they actually announced that they were shutting down our office. So all of us were getting laid off. Honestly, the timing could not have been better because I had launched this side project. I was starting to get some traction. I'm sitting in this meeting with HR and my phone is just buzzing. And I'm like, who is, who's calling me right now? And I look down and it's all text notifications that new customers are signing up for this new idea. Welcome to Yaro's podcast, where you'll discover the stories behind world-class performers, business builders, and enlightened leaders. Can you believe it? This podcast started in the year 2005. It was one of the very first interview podcasts ever published, and I've loved doing it ever since the very start. However, the most important thing to me is the fact that you're here listening to my show. It means a lot to me. I put a lot of work into this, and it's all for you. Now, whether you're a long-term listener or perhaps this is the first episode you've ever downloaded, make sure you subscribe if you have not done so already. It's easy to do. Just open up an app on your phone or perhaps your computer, wherever you listen to podcasts. Could be Apple or Google, Spotify, YouTube. And just click that subscribe button and you'll get all my latest episodes as I release them. Thanks again for listening. Hi, this is Yarrow, and thanks for downloading today's episode featuring Ryan Bourne, the founder of Cloud Campaign, a social media content and distribution tool that he founded and has grown to 1 million a year in annual run rate. So it's a, a big milestone that he just passed here in 2020, September actually was when he hit that goal, which I discovered actually because I found his company listed in IndieHackers.com, a website that I spent a bit of time on uh, recently. It features a lot of founders and companies and people kind of keep a diary of how their business is going, all the behind the scenes stories, kind of like blogging back in the old days, but it's all on this one site. Great community there. And because I saw a connection to Ryan, in fact, through Noah Kagan, I decided I should try and get Ryan onto the podcast to share what the journey was like to get to that 1 million run rate with his social media SaaS software as a service company. So you're going to hear that interview with Ryan coming up. He shares the full story going from you know college graduate to intern to employee to this first side hustle, which ended up actually failing, and then the pivot from that to the current version of Cloud Campaign, and then how they ramped it up to a million dollars in annual run rate, and even took on investors. He's done a seed and an angel round as well. So it's well, well and truly becoming a proper startup company with venture backing, co-founder, a team of 10. And frankly, the tool is really good too. I've started using it for my social media campaigns to automate and you know create a calendar so that my content goes out. I found it very easy to use. And what I especially like about it is how easy it is to connect to all your social media accounts, including YouTube, which is unusual, I find, to have automated posting to YouTube as an option for those YouTubers who make video out there. So make sure you check out Cloud Campaign as an option. Uh, but more importantly, this is a great interview with a SaaS founder. So if you're interested in SaaS or any kind of software-based startup and how someone was able to go from a standing start, basically created himself, have some failures along the way, and then almost give up, in fact, but finally have a breakthrough, discover some powerful marketing methods that help take things to the next level. You're going to hear all of that in this story with Ryan. I hope you enjoy it. Let's begin now. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for joining me today. 
Hi, Yarrow. Thanks so much for having me. So I'd love to learn about the backstory behind cloudcampaign.io, which is the company I discovered you through, or correctly, I actually discovered you through Indie Hackers. That's uh, a website that I've been spending a bit more time on. I know you're a, a fan of using Indie Hackers as well, kind of a place to track the progress of your business, but also see what other people are doing and talk to other uh, entrepreneurs. I came across your company and then I just read a little bit of a background about you know what you were doing. What's interesting about any hackers is you can reveal your run rate as you tell your story, which you were very generous to explain. I think the last post I saw from you is you're, you just hit the 1 million annual run rate mark back in September of 2020, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. And then I saw Noah. Our mutual friend was an advisor, Noah Kagan. So I was surprised to see the connection. Maybe not surprised because Noah's pretty well known. So I'd love to hear <laughs> how that came about as well and, and you know why you chose to get an advisor in that way. But before we do any of that, I mean, we can give a quick intro to what uh, cloudcampaign.io is, but I'd actually like to dive even further back and, and talk about your, your younger years, no matter how many there are there. So, But first of all, what is cloudcampaign.io? Sure. So Cloud Campaign is a digital SaaS platform that helps marketing agencies essentially scale social media management. You know, today, social media management is really difficult for agencies that manage a lot of different brands. And most of the tools that are out there are focused on individual brands or consumers. And so we saw this opportunity to build a platform that's really designed from the ground up for marketing agencies so they can increase the number of brands they manage and in a lot of ways charge a higher retainer because they're able to provide more value for their clients by using our product. And I've actually been using it. I I dived in and and, uh, became a a free trial and and a customer now too. I've used a few uh, tools similar to yours. I'd love to talk more about differentiation strategies, you know, heading into what you might call a, a somewhat crowded marketplace. Before we do any of that, can we go back in time? Where are you born, uh, Ryan? Sure. Yeah. So I, I grew up in Southern California and I then moved up to Santa Barbara where I went to college at UCSB and then kept moving up north and just following the coast and ended up uh, graduating there and moving up to San Francisco Bay Area for work. What uh, degree did you graduate with? I got a computer engineering degree. So what's the plan to work for a startup from day one as an engineer? Not necessarily a startup. I kind of followed my brother's footsteps. He's three years older than me, and he also studied computer engineering. He went more of the corporate route and worked at Boeing and then more recently Microsoft. And so I thought I was going to do something similar. And it's actually a funny story. I was standing at the career fair at UCSB, you know, where all the different companies are showcasing the different roles that they have and the cool technologies they're working on. And there's this huge line in front of Google. And I'm like standing in this line and I look over and lock eyes with these two guys that are standing at a different booth for for some like small startup I'd never heard of. I was like, ah, shoot, I locked eyes. I I should probably go say hi. So I walk (laughs) over to them, introduce myself. And they're like, oh, we're, we're Sydney and Brandon. We're with Clutch Mobile. And we're doing cloud security for mobile devices. It's really cool, interesting new space. You know, would you be interested in like interviewing with us? I was like, yeah, why not? Like, you know, it's always good to have options. And anyways, long story short, ended up interning with them for a summer. And then the next year when I graduated, I went there and worked full time. And it was just a total godsend. I got really lucky joining this amazing team of entrepreneurs and this was, I think, their third startup now. And all the other previous startups were successful that they exited from and were acquired. So 
you know, just got really lucky to learn more about startups and the entrepreneur journey right out of college. Nice. So you kind of were on the inside of a, a new company rising rather than a, a giant like Google. I'd love to know what's the difference or even the experience you had going from studying computer engineering within a university environment to actually working in a company, and I assume is one of the, the earlier engineers in, in that case with that company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's very different. You know, I think at a traditional four-year university, you learn a lot of theory and you, of course, learn some practical knowledge and skills that you can then bring to your to your workforce and it translates pretty well. But in a lot of ways, there is just so many things that you need to learn on the job, such as working with an existing code base that's been alive for three years and maybe has some ugly portions of code that no one wants to touch and you have to figure out how to understand it and read it. And I think that's a part of the CS degree that you just don't learn in college is, you know, reading other people's code that maybe wasn't built in the best fashion. A lot of times you have to learn a new language. So it might not be a language that you actually learned in university, or maybe you had one course on it, but you didn't really go deep on it. So taking your learnings and your foundation to then translate that to a new syntax, I think is is definitely one of the more difficult parts of, of moving from a computer engineering degree or a computer science degree and going into the actual workforce. The other part of it too is just understanding what you're working on and why you're working on it, right? So like there's obviously real business reasons behind the priority of features that need to be completed, and especially at a startup where you have a small scrappy team and there isn't a ton of resources, you really need to prioritize what features you're working on based off of what the business needs and really what's going to drive revenue and retention. So taking on that role, what did you, I guess, discover? And was there a point where you had a shift from... I see myself working for other people's companies to now starting my own, if that was where you got that shift. Yeah, it definitely happened around that time. And I think a big part of it is just realizing that the founders of the company were just normal people, right? Like <laughs> sometimes you see Jeff Bezos on on the, the internet or Mark Zuckerberg, and it's really hard to relate to them. And you're like, no, I'm, I'm not an entrepreneur because I don't look like Jeff Bezos. But the reality is there are thousands of other entrepreneurs that look just like you that are starting successful companies that you probably don't hear about because you know they're moderately successful and they're not worth billions of dollars and i think that's what helped me realize you know maybe this actually is something i can do i've always wanted to invent something or be an entrepreneur even from like an early stage of being a kid and i think just going through this process and working for the startup and seeing the founders who are just normal people like yourself and and me and just realizing, you know what, I think this is something I can actually do. You saw the founders on a day-to-day basis. So you knew what their life was like. Is that, was there any kind of takeaways where you saw, aha, okay, I know I need to do this when I start my own company based on what you saw them doing, or perhaps the opposite, don't do what they're doing when you start (laughs) your own company. Yeah. I mean, it was slightly different. So I guess for context, the startup that I joined was VC backed. And at the time, I wasn't wanting to raise money. I was hoping to just bootstrap a business. And I was thinking, you know, I can build this small business for myself. And maybe it's just like me and a couple other folks and we can build a nice profitable business. And for that reason, I think there's some learnings that didn't necessarily translate over because when you are a VC backed business, you don't necessarily need to make money from day one. And so 
the company I worked at was very engineering heavy. We had a very small go-to-market team and most of the folks working were just working on product. And because of that, we were burning cash pretty quickly, but it ended up being fine. We ended up getting acquired for our technology for the product. But I think viewing that from my perspective, you know, I was like, I don't necessarily want to go this route. I want to make sure we kind of have our, our fate in our own hands and we are generating revenue and we're really mostly focused on revenue first and everything else kind of just contributes to making sure we can generate money so we can stay alive. Okay. So what happened next? Was it a case of figuring out a side hustle or were you actually going to fully quit a job and, and start something from scratch? So I started a lot of different side projects while I was working at that company, just on nights and weekends. And I wasn't really sure, you know, like what was going to take off and what was going to be a business. It was more of like, hey, I see this is a problem and this is something that's interesting to work on. I honestly just really enjoyed writing code. And so that's how I'd spend my nights. It's like, yeah, I get home from work and I can work on my own project that I found really interesting and really exciting. And so there was a few different projects that I had launched during the couple of years or the few years that I was working at that company. And most of them didn't really gain much traction. You know, most of them had a handful of users that would just sign up for free. No one was actually paying for it. And then there's this one called Cloud Campaign, which eventually as you are having this conversation here, you're aware it turns into an actual business. I launched it, like launched the website back in April of 2017 and published it on Indie Hackers just to get feedback of like, hey, what do you, what do you all think about this idea and the landing page? And the timing was pretty crazy. So I published this on April 19th. On April 20th, I show up to work the next day and HR calls us into the conference room for just a meeting kind of out of the blue. And they actually announced that they were shutting down our office. So all of us were getting laid off. Oh, wow. (laughs) And this is because we were at this point acquired. We had been with the acquiring company for a couple of years. The main goal was to really take our technology and integrate it into their solution, which we had pretty much completed at that point. And there was a team up in Vancouver, BC that was taking ownership of the product. And so they decided that they were going to shut down our office. And honestly, the timing could not have been better, you know, because I launched this this little side project, this website that was starting to get some traction. I'm sitting in this meeting with HR and my phone is just buzzing. And I'm like, who is who's calling me right now? And I look down and it's all text notifications that new customers are signing up for this new idea, right? This website that I launched, that wasn't even actually a product yet. It's just an idea. And I think like maybe 20 folks signed up that day and then another like 20 signed up in the the next couple of days. And so this was a really good indication that like, hey, this is something people actually want. I just got laid off. And so I'm getting a severance package. So I'll just treat this as like seed money to get going and bootstrap this thing. And that was really when push came to shove. And I was like, okay, I think the time's right. I, I should just go for it. So 20 to 40 customers, you're saying, came from this post you made on, on Indie Hackers. Can you explain a little bit more a, what was that initial offer, I guess, because you had an idea to solve a problem and then you were, you say customers, so you were charging money from day one. How do you do that without an actual product or service? Like what was that offer? Yeah, so sorry, let me correct that. So these were not actual paying customers at this okay. point. These were more prospects saying, I'm interested in this. Like once you build it, I will pay for it. Okay, right? what so was this? It's, it's what? So it's it's actually different than what we have today. So initially... One thing that I noticed is in email marketing, there's this concept of dynamic emails that are based off the weather, right? So 
let's say you're in Seattle and it's raining, the company might send you a rain jacket and some pants in their email versus if I'm in Boulder, Colorado and it's sunny, I might get shorts and hiking shoes. And so this concept already existed. It just didn't exist on social. Sorry, do you mean that as an, from an e-commerce sense? Like they're going to promote you to buy these products based on the weather? Exactly. Okay, yep. got it. Yeah, and so it was predominantly used in e-commerce. There were, were other industries that were leveraging this technology as well. But my thought was, this exists in email. No one's really doing it for social. And I think we could build this. Like, this doesn't seem that difficult. And so that was the initial idea was, hey, you can now trigger social media posts based off the weather or trends, you know, given it would have to be for a brand that is on the smaller side and in a given geographic region, just because with social media, you're, you're broadcasting, you're not sending direct messages. Yeah, that was the initial idea that I started getting folks to sign up for expressing interest in. You basically created a simple web page that said, hey, I'm looking to create a, a new tool that will allow e-commerce and, and DTC direct to consumer entrepreneurs, product creators to send tailored messages to email and social based on conditions like maybe the weather or maybe you're probably thinking like times of the year, Halloween, for example, as we record, this is about to happen. And that's just a, an idea you flow. And then it's like enter your name and email address if you're interested in this and you call that a prospect. Is that kind of like a summary? Exactly. And it was rather than saying, hey, this is an idea or this is what I'm thinking about making. It was more of, hey, here's this product which did not exist yet, but they didn't know that. I had I created mock-ups of what I thought the product would look like. And so, hey, here's this product. Do you want early access? Put in your email address and give me your contact info. Got it. So it's not like I'm going to make this. It's this actually exists. Here's the pictures of it. It's just right. not quite ready yet. You want to be a first user. So it's a, yep. it's a very lean way of testing an idea. So, and you just posted that to the Indie Hackers community, which is like a forum type website. And that's where you got that initial 2040 signups. Exactly. Yeah. So the initial okay. initial signups came from indie hackers, and then I later posted on beta list and received another, I believe, like eighty signups from that. And then I posted on Product Hunt a little bit later once the product had actually launched, and got I think a couple hundred uh, users to actually sign up and start using mm. it from that. Let's bridge that gap because I'm curious. So you get your email sign up saying I want this. But it doesn't actually exist yet in terms of something mm -hmm. that's functional. Do you just go home and you've been laid off so you've, and you got some buffer of savings thanks to severance? Do you just sit at your computer by yourself and code a first version of this like web app? Is, is that, and can you do that yourself or would you need other people involved? Yeah, no, so you're exactly right. I just sat at my computer. I can't even tell you, maybe 16 hours per day, just working through the night <laughs> many times. And just built it by myself. And, you know, I think having that list of prospects that said, hey, I'm really interested in this gave me the motivation to just work as hard as I could to get this thing out as quick as possible. My fear was if I took six months to build this, then people that said they're interested in April are going to change their mind by the time I actually release it. Mm. And so my thought was, I need to get this out as quickly as possible. So, how long did it take you to make that first beta version? So, I launched the beta version. I believe it was June 15th. So it was pretty quick. Okay, so it's two you, months. One man show, two months of more than full-time work. <laughs> Boom, you got a beta. How do you sell it? Do you put together a sales page for it or just send people a PayPal link? What is your, your you know, how do you take money? 
Yeah, no, it's a good question. So initially the thought was, I'm just going to try and get as many free users as I can, and then I'll figure out how to convert them to pay customers. Got it. Like you mentioned, I did have some buffer of savings. So I wasn't, I didn't need to necessarily make money day one, but I definitely had to make money in year one. And my thought was, I should hopefully be able to convert maybe five to 10% of the free users into paid customers if they're actually serious about this. And so I didn't worry about billing until closer to the end of the year of the of 2017. Okay, nice. So you, you send it out just with a, a registration form then to, to create an account. And those are your testers too, right? They can help you figure out the bugs and what features they want next. So I guess that takes us to the point where you've actually launched the beta on Product Hunt. Just for those who have never don't know about Product Hunt and never submitted something to Product Hunt, is there, give us a summary of what it is, but also when is the right time to put something on Product Hunt? Yeah, sure. So Product Hunt is a website where hunters, as they call them, can publish a product that they discovered. You can be your own hunter. So if you are the, the individual that made the product, you can also hunt your own product. And essentially, a lot of individuals come to the site to find new innovative tools that they can try out, services they can pay for. There's a wide range of, of products that get listed on there. So everything from you know, your indie hacker posting their own product that they made all the way up to, you know, some random hunter finding a new feature that got added to Slack, for example, and they might Mm. hunt that. So anyone can hunt any product. You don't don't necessarily need to have any sort of affiliation with a product or ownership of it. In terms of the best way to get a lot of publicity for your product and get upvotes, Timing is is critical. So you typically want to publish it shortly after midnight Pacific Standard Time. That's when kind of the votes reset. And that's essentially gives you the best time to make it to the top of the list. As I'm sure you can imagine, the products at the top of the web page are going to get the most clicks. Accordingly, they're going to get the most votes. And so typically, if you can start the day towards the top of the website, you'll typically stay towards the top. Interesting. Okay, a little hack there for product hunt. But it, it doesn't sound like you need to have, if it is your own product you want to promote, you don't need to have a certain level of functionality. It's just, here's something. I mean, I've seen people even just post pictures of what they're planning on doing, I think, on product mm-hmm. hunt without a finished version. So how did you go? So you, did you, you follow that strategy, I assume? And, and what's the result for, for cloud campaign? Yeah, so it worked out decently well for us. We, have, we actually found someone else to hunt our product for us. The reason being is if you have a lot of followers on Product Hunt, your followers will get notified anytime you hunt a new product. And so there's value in finding someone that has some clout on the platform. And so we found someone to hunt it for us. It did fairly well. It had a good number of upvotes. It was not the top product of the day, but definitely ranked pretty high. We had a good slew of traffic come from Product Hunt. I don't remember the exact numbers. Hundreds, thousands, millions? What's the roughly? (laughs) Not millions. No, I believe I believe it was thousands. Okay, not bad. Low single thousands, but yeah, for a website that you know just kind of spun out of nowhere and didn't have any traffic otherwise, it was definitely a really exciting time. And I believe at the end of this, after the few different launches we we did, had about three hundred folks that were now using the platform for free. Okay. Now we should clarify at this point, Cloud Campaign has nothing to do with what it currently does. It's still about tailored based on weather and so forth uh, campaigns for commerce take us forward so you've got 300 people using it you're getting feedback how long was your runway too in terms of your own financial savings and what were you planning to do next 
Yeah. So I actually had a couple of years of runway just for my savings. And this was, you know, living off of uh, peanut butter sandwiches and ramen. So <laughs> yeah, it wasn't living a luxe life. Paying uh, San Francisco rents though? You know, I was fortunate. So my, my partner, her parents own a apartment in San Francisco and they were giving us subsidized rent. Otherwise, there's no way I was going to be able to afford living in San Francisco trying to start this company. Fair enough. Yeah. So uh, extremely fortunate with the circumstances. Had a decent amount of runway, but I still wanted to try to get to revenue as quick as possible because my thought was if I try to charge for this product and no one's willing to pay for it, I need to figure out something quickly. And if I just wasted a year working on this one product and this isn't the right product, like maybe I need to build something else and then maybe I need to go try a different idea. And so after getting those 300 or so free users, my thought was I need to build billing as quickly as possible and ended up integrating with Stripe, which was pretty seamless. And I need to now start charging for the product. And it did not go as planned. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what happened? I just had the assumption that, you know, maybe 5 to 10% of customers or free users will convert to a paid product. And, you know, if I offer some really compelling reasons to, then I can start making some money. And I essentially flipped the switch and emailed all of our users saying, hey, the free plan that you're on, we're going to keep it for life, but it's going to be limited in terms of what the functionality. If you want to continue using the product to its full capacity, you need to upgrade to this I believe it was $5 a month at the time. It's okay. extremely, extremely affordable. And one person switched over and that was it. Okay, ouch. So how did you feel at that point? Uh, totally deflated. You know, I, I thought, man, I, I thought I was doing really well. I thought these 300 users love the product. At the time, I didn't really have any sort of analytics to see how active these users were, right? Like I didn't know how frequently they're logging in how frequently they're posting their social media accounts. I just assume that they're they're busy and, and happily using the product. And I think what I realized was, no, that wasn't the case. There was only a handful of folks that were actually using the product and only one of them was actually willing to pay for it. Okay, so how did you pick yourself up from the floor after that experience? What happened? Yeah, so I had some friends that were starting a company around the same time and they were going more enterprise and it just seemed like, okay, I can take kind of control of the reins here and I can force this, this to work by going down a similar path. And so instead of just focusing on marketing, I pulled on some connections to get in touch with Mint. So like TurboTax and Mint, uh, which are both Intuit companies, I got connected with their marketing team and I pitched them on the product. And you know their response was, wow, this seems really cool. It seems really innovative. I haven't seen anything like this. But we work with a marketing agency and they manage all of our social media. If you want, like I can put you in touch and you can pitch them, but we're not going to pay for this product on our own because we don't do our own social media management. And that was kind of the light bulb moment of like, wow, okay, if I can sell this agency, now I get TurboTax and Mint as an end client. But at the same time, this agency works with 30 other brands that are equally sized. Maybe this is the right path. And like, I can just go after agencies instead of going directly towards the brands. Okay, interesting. So is that what you did? Exactly. Yeah. So that was the big pivot is, you know, brands aren't willing to pay for this. There's a lot of different products that are in the space. It's really crowded. There isn't really much price elasticity. So customers aren't willing to pay a ton for this product. I think the bigger opportunity is agencies because no one is really building a tool for them and they're struggling to use these different consumer platforms. 
And so I essentially asked for the intro to the agency that Intuit worked with and had a great call with them. And they're like, yeah, you know, these are different problems that we have. We don't really have a great solution today. You know, given my product was nowhere near where it needed to be, it at least helped lay down kind of the, the framework of what I would have to build in order for it to be compelling for them to switch. Mm-hmm. And with that kind of in the back of my mind, I just started doing customer research of just contacting other agencies. And around this time, I was also looking for a co-founder. Now that I knew that I wasn't going to go with this like strictly marketing approach, I needed someone with a sales background that could actually get on the phone with the agencies and sell them on our product. Mm. So now correct me if I'm wrong, when you spoke to that agency and they said they had problems that were not being solved by other tools, as anyone, I guess, who works in social media knows, there are plenty of tools, you know, like whatever, like a buffer, Laura Router has uh, Meet Edger, plenty of similar tools that do automated social posting, scheduling. Basically, there's tools for managing social media for companies, and that's what agencies use. But what were you finding that was missing? Because it's it's obviously a crowded space. Social is a is marketing today almost. Mm-hmm. Besides paid ads, you know, organic social and and paid social are is what people and most companies will focus on for marketing, especially small businesses. So it's well served as a market by agencies and freelancers and so on. And for those who've never used Cloud Campaign, the current version very much meets that need. But you must have seen some problems or not met needs within that vertical. Could you explain it, what it was, or you know, did you grasp it from those initial conversations or did it take more time? Yeah, I mean, it was fairly apparent from the initial conversation. So when I was talking to this agency, you know, I started the call, like I start every call, which is more of discovery and just understanding how they are managing social media today. And the agency just started explaining and it seemed really overwhelming and inefficient. So the way they were doing it at the time is each client had their own different tool, right? So like for Intuit, they were using Spreadfast and maybe Sprinkler. And then they had another client that brought Buffer to them. And they had another client that was using Hootsuite. And so for the agency, now they're having to train their account managers on using 10 different tools. You know, each one has different logins. They have like a sheet of paper where they have all the different passwords they're trying to remember. There's no consistency across brands. Every time they hire a new account manager, they need to train them up. And so it just seemed like this really chaotic and inefficient structure that they had today. And I was like, well, why don't you just put it all under one account and just have your clients use Hootsuite, for example? And they're like, yeah, we, we tried and we just can't. The problem is Hootsuite wasn't built for multi-brand management. And when you try to put 3, 5, 30 different clients in there, it's all commingled, and we've had issues where account managers actually post the content to the wrong client. So <laughs> they're managing social media for Mint, and now they just posted one of Mint's posts to, you know, let's just say Coca-Cola, which wasn't the case, but you know, mm. let's say one of the other clients, and that's that's, that's dangerous. Just a huge issue, right? Yeah, yeah. You, you lose that contract pretty yeah. quickly. Laundry posted to the Coca-Cola <laughs> account or something, you know? So, Yo. Yeah. Okay. So two things, you you want to get a co-founder and obviously you now have a plan to build what sounds very much like an almost completely new company compared to what Cloud Campaign mm-hmm. was. So did you have to start brand new code base from scratch or was there something you built from you know, your previous beta that was still usable for, for this new, new plan. 
Yeah, I mean, fortunately, most of the product was reusable. Uh, there were portions of it, so I called the the weather based posting triggers. That was the predominant feature of the product, and that quickly became a little side tab now. And the main kind focus was, I know it was <laughs> your it was, first idea. I, uh, <laughs> what's funny is I tried to like let that feature live on for about a year and a half and customers were constantly confused. They're like, what is this? I've right. never heard of this before. I was like, okay, it's time to just sunset it. Let's remove it from the product. Oh, sad, sad day. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so anyway, fortunately, a lot of the product was reusable. We kind of just shifted the focus. So there's more focus on the content library and everything revolved around content. Started adding in new features that agencies needed, such as client approvals and client reporting. But kind of the bulk of the system stayed the same and just started tacking on uh, more agency features to make it work for them. And then, of course, making it so an agency can have multiple workspaces is what we call that. And each client gets their own workspace. So you don't run into that that issue of posting the wrong content to the wrong client's account. Got it. So you keep saying we. Um, did that mean you had the co-founder <laughs> and a team with you by that point? Or is that still the royal we? It was just you, really? <laughs> just the royal we. Yeah, okay. I had the tendency of saying we to make the company seem larger and add more credibility when, <laughs> when pitching customers, but it was still me at that point. Got it. Now, you must have been young. I, I want to hear about the co-founder and the expansion of the team, but it sounds, I know from thinking back to myself and thinking early 20s, mid 20s, the idea of going to the agency that's running all these big companies' social media and saying, hi, what are your problems right now? <laughs> you know, kind of like, <laughs> that sounds daunting and scary and they wouldn't take you seriously. Did you, did you not feel that or did you have a way of getting around that? I felt it a little bit. And, you know, coming from an engineering background, I think I was a bit more introverted and at the time, especially not extremely comfortable pitching prospects or getting on the phone. You know, I think part of it was just out of dire need and necessity, right? Like I knew I would have just wasted a lot of my own money and a lot of my own time if this didn't work out. So I just kind of bit the bullet and I was like, you know what? I just need to be confident and I need to do this. I think the other part about it is agencies are in a lot of ways thought leaders and are more risk tolerant. So they're willing to try out a new tool or you know take a risk on someone or something just because they want to kind of be on the bleeding edge of technology and provide a better better experience for their clients. Versus I think if you were to pitch enterprises, a lot of times that's not the case. You have to go through a formal procurement process. They want to make sure you're SOC 2 compliant, right? There's just mm. a lot of hoops to jump through. Whereas agencies, I think, are constantly looking for better ways to improve their business and provide a better service for their clients. So it just seemed a little bit easier to broach that conversation. Got it. Okay, well, take us forward. So how did you go from now the idea that eventually became the current version of Cloud Campaign to, to grow the team, get your customers and so on? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, so step one was now that I realized we had to make this shift was finding a co-founder. And I was super fortunate to find my co-founder, Ross, through a mutual friend. And Ross comes from a more marketing sales background, which was exactly what I needed. And he has all the skills that I lack. So... Step one was once Rostra and the team, it was doing more customer discovery and really understanding two things. One, what more features do we need to add to make this product kind of best in market for agencies? And two, how do we actually sell these agencies at scale? And so what Ross ended up doing is calling 
I believe it was around 500 to 600 agencies within that first year through just this like repository, this like list of different agency owners and getting on the phone with them, actually doing some interviews with them, understanding like what their biggest pain points are, what solutions they're using today and like why the existing solutions don't solve their problem. And that really, again, helped us inform two things. Like one, it kept me busy with the long list of features that I had to build in the product before we could actually launch it and like go to market successfully. And then two, the different features that we could call out in our marketing. That way we could actually advertise and market at scale and catch a marketer's attention because we now know, hey, here are the top three features that a marketer is looking for in a social media tool that doesn't exist today. Mm, Okay. So when it came to actually launching this, is it a similar story to the the previous version you had? Going to Product Hunt, going to Indie Hackers, getting a a page up and getting free users or, or is it different this time? No, so it was different this time. It was more hand-to-hand combat. So during those initial customer interviews, during the cold calls that Ross was making, we converted maybe 10 or so pilot customers from that. They weren't paying us the full amount, but the kind of the trade-off was like, look, you can use the product at a discounted rate. All we ask is that you meet with us once a month and give us product feedback and make sure that we're on the right path. And so that's where like the initial 10 customers came from. And then we eventually started experimenting with ads and we're running really small campaigns. So let's say a $100 campaign here, $200 campaign there, just to try and see if we could get any sort of traction that we could then scale. And we're trying Google AdWords, we're trying Facebook, we're trying Twitter, LinkedIn, and nothing was really working. And we almost actually got to the point where we shut the business down. So wow. This was in September of 2018. We kind of set a goal for ourselves. We're like, look, I don't know if this is going to work out. Like we've tried really forcing it by doing cold calls. And, you know, people are interested, but no one's really paying full price. And the timing just doesn't seem right. And it's really difficult. And like, if we can't get to 10,000 MRR by December, maybe we just shut the business down and, you know, we, we go separate ways and call it a day. And you know, we got super fortunate in that we set up this ad in October on Facebook targeting agencies. And the main carrot that we were selling was white labeling. So we realized, hey, agencies want to white label our product with their own branding, their own logo, because they can actually charge their clients more mm. by saying it's their own platform. Mm-hmm. And so this is kind of a last-ditch effort. We're like, let's just throw $300 behind this ad. Like, it's something we've heard a lot. Maybe this will actually like resonate with agency owners. And sure enough, almost overnight, our business changed. And we just had a ton of leads of customers saying or prospects saying, Hey, I want to demo this. I want to learn more about what this product is. And we actually fell short of our 10K MRR goal for the end of the year, but we got extremely close to it. And mm-hmm. we're growing by, I believe, it was about 20 to 25% month over month at that point. So, and this is like end of 2018, and now you're at a million annual run rate. So obviously it's grown about eightfold, something like that, <laughs> 8.3-fold. Take us through that chunk of growth. So obviously your team expands. I know also reading Indie Hackers, it's like an insight into your company here, 10 people working for you. So obviously the team has grown. How do you scale and manage and hire? And is it all just that Facebook ad still driving all those new customers? <laughs> You know, it's it's a pretty large percentage of it. We've gotten pretty fortunate that we have some awesome customers that are now referring us to other customers. And so 
about 50% of our customers that sign up now on a monthly basis come from either referral or organic. And then the other 50% are coming from our advertising efforts on Facebook. And we've shifted our, our target, like our targeting a little bit. And now about half of our ad spend is going towards generating leads that will actually go through a demo with our sales team. The other half is focused on just self-service and putting our product out in front of customers and just getting them to kind of sign up on their own and start using the product without actually talking to anyone on our team. And how did the team grow? Because I know hiring is a challenge while you're actually running a company as well. It is, absolutely. Yes, we actually we hired our first employee in June of 2019. So you know, after making it through 2018, almost going out of business, we were still heads down for a bit. We went through an accelerator program here in Boulder, Colorado called Boomtown, which I think really helped us set the foundation and figure out there is a bigger opportunity for this. And you know, no one has really owned the agency space. And because of that, I think there's an opportunity to raise money and like grow this to be an actual VC-backed business. And so we ended up hiring our first salesperson in June because that was kind of like where our biggest bottleneck was in 2019. We then raised a small angel round of 175000 just from local angels here in Colorado in August of, of 2019. And then we kind of proved out this theory. So we had this idea of like, hey, we have this, this Facebook ad and it's working kind of at small scale. We're getting 8 to 10x ROI on it. Our payback period was about a month at that time in terms of like our CAC to our you know, monthly subscription. And so the numbers made a lot of sense. And the thought was like, if we can just add a little bit of money to this and it continues to scale, we could have a really big business on our hands here. And so we raised that 175000 to just prove that out. And everything scaled exactly as we were expecting it to. And so we said, okay, like if we can do that with you know, 200000 what could we do with, let's say, a million dollars? And so we set out to raise a more formal seed round in October of 2019. And then ended up closing that in January and raised uh, 1.5 million. And then that just gave us the fuel to double down on our acquisition channels, but then of course grow the team kind of in, in all areas of the business. So what's it like raising money the way you did? Because that's a big transition from bootstrapped to angels to seed or a round. That that means you know not running the company. It means pitching. It means doing presentations. It means putting together documents with financial figures and you know nice PowerPoint presentations and so on <laughs> and so forth. Right? How did you find that? As as I'm assuming the CEO founder, you're the one doing a lot of that as well. Yeah, it was extremely time consuming and really difficult. And you know it's worth noting that at that time when we were raising the seed round, I was the only person working on the product. Right? So like everyone that we had hired, well, the one person we had hired in June. Andrew was on our sales team as an account executive. And then we hired an SDR, Becca, in December while we're in the middle of raising the round, who is an SDR. And so during this process, I'm trying to make sure there aren't any bugs in the platform and make sure the platform is stable and the project is still continuing to progress. But as you mentioned, the majority of my time is focused on getting our financials together and building a deck and pitching investors and just managing, honestly, emails and responding to investors and making sure that we're staying top of mind. And it was, yeah, it was extremely difficult and I think really stressful for me just seeing that the product was kind of sitting stagnant for a bit for the first time since I started the company while I was just out kind of doing the roadshow trying to raise money. 
it must be exciting though when the money does close and you know you can now spend it but how does it feel like having a boss in inverted commas you've got bosses now with investors do you feel any different pressures to perform at a certain speed now that you might not have otherwise I think it's honestly been great. I think it's helped us think a bit bigger picture and see the bigger opportunity in front of us. I mean, we're fortunate in that we still have board control. So we, we gave up one board seat and then Ross and myself both have board seats. So, you know, if there ever was an issue where we didn't agree, we'd still have the ability to kind of choose the direction we want to go in. But there hasn't been a situation yet where we haven't agreed with our board and our investors. We've been really deliberate about finding investors that believe in the vision that we believe in. I think sometimes money can be blinding and folks just say, yeah, you know what, we don't see eye to eye, but like, let me just take this money and we'll, we'll figure it out later and we'll work it out. I just don't think that's the right approach. You know, we, we were really fortunate that we had about 2.5 million soft circled for our seed round. And so we were able to pick and choose which investors we worked with because we only took 1.5 million. So there's a few investors that we did not go forward with. And I think because of that, we were able to find the right investors that were previous operators. They've ran companies of their own. They know what it's like. They've been through the ringer. And I think just just taking that approach, we've been really fortunate in having a board and a group of investors that completely back the direction we're going in and the decisions that we make. Is that where Noah comes into this as well? Or is he a special case? So I actually connected with Noah a while back. Yeah, this was... This was back in the early days when I wasn't sure if we were going after agencies or going after e-commerce. And that's when I initially connected with Noah. And it's kind of a funny story. So, you know, Noah's fairly well known. He has his own very large audience. He publishes YouTube videos and podcasts for folks that aren't familiar with him. And I was listening to one of his podcasts and he always ends his podcast with a question. And so I just sent him a tweet and answered his question to his podcast. And the next day he messages me. He's like, hey, like, What's cloud campaign? Are you building this on your own? This seems really interesting. Like, how do I get involved? <laughs> and that's how the conversation started. And uh, yeah, this was, I think this was in 2018. So this was like right around when the company was going out of business and like, we weren't really sure what was going to happen. And like, Noah was just focused on keeping me accountable. And he's like, dude, if you want to make this work, you got to put in effort and like pick up the phone, stop building the product and just sell this thing. And yeah, I think it was really helpful. And honestly, just like the motivation of having him push me was, was good at the time. Mm. And he came on as an advisor too. So that's a more formalized role. And that happened before you raised uh, funding. So I guess um, that was almost like the start of you looking for investors that could be strategic and help you with growth as well. Yeah, to an extent. So Noah didn't actually invest, but he was more of just like a, a mentor advisor role. You know, what's funny is I, <laughs> I had offered Noah advisory shares at the time. I was like, hey, I really appreciate you helping me so much and I want to compensate you for it. Like, let's formalize an advisor agreement and I'll, I'll give you some equity in the company. And he, he wasn't interested. He's like, no, dude, like, don't give me any of your company. I'm just happy to help. Like, I love <laughs> the grind. I love the, like, I love the fact that you're just going for this. So you just keep doing you and I'll be here to help. So I think we got <laughs> extremely lucky that someone has prolific and well-established as Noah Kagan was willing to just help for, for the goodness of it. Yeah, you, that sounded like the words you would use too. You just, you do you and <laughs> I don't need anything. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so as we move to the end of the interview here, Ryan, what's uh, on the cards? I'm, I'm guessing just continuing growth and, and expanding the team and, and improving product at some point, maybe raising another round. Is, is that the, that's the typical plan? Is that your plan? Yeah, you know, I think it's definitely it's definitely in the cards. As you mentioned, we just crossed the million dollar run rate, which I think is 
an exciting milestone. There's obviously a lot to still accomplish, but I think it gives us the opportunity to lift our heads up a little bit and start to think a bigger picture and figure out where we want to go in the next year or two. And one thing that we've noticed is social media management is just one of the issues that agencies have. I think a lot of the agencies struggle with, you know, how do I invoice my clients? Like, where am I supposed to host their website if I'm doing that? Like, is there a good agency tool for email marketing? And this is something that we ask for all the time is our, our agency customers come to us and they're like, look, we love your social media management product, but we're using XYZ for email. Is that something you guys want to integrate into your product or is that something you can add? Mm. And where the bigger opportunity lies is, is building this platform for marketing agencies where if an agency is trying to grow, if they're just getting started, you know, cloud campaign is the place for them where they can just put in a credit card and within 20 minutes, they can start onboarding their clients. They can manage all their social campaigns. They can manage all their email marketing campaigns, you know, whatever it might be. That's, that's kind of the direction we want to go in. And that of course requires pretty significant investment in product. And I think that kind of raises the question of like, do we raise a series A or do we continue just investing based off our, our revenue? And we're not, we're not entirely sure yet. We're, we're starting to build out the model for the next couple of years here and really see like, is it possible to just build it based off our revenue and, you know, not dilute anyone on the team anymore? Or should we go raise a series A? But I think either way, the, the mission's the same. And I think there's a pretty big opportunity in front of us. Awesome. Well, it's exciting times. I, I feel like we're hearing maybe only phase two of 10 in the growth of cloud campaigns. So it's exciting to hear that origin story. And thanks for sharing it, Ryan. It's, it's been a fun ride. And it's great to hear that you know, it was started as something turned into something completely different. Well, not completely different, but somewhat different. And the people that have come through, like Noah, like your co-founder that have you know, kind of made a difference and helped you move forward with it. Uh, good luck too for the future. I, I think you're in a, a busy space, but you found a sweet spot maybe with agencies there. And but also there's something about your software. I know from my experience with it too. I've used a few uh, scheduling social tools. I just found yours the simplest. I like the the big, you know, click this to do this, and that's all <laughs> I have to do. You know, yep. uh, so I appreciate that, and uh, you know, look forward to watching it grow as well. So last question, any websites other than cloudcampaign.io you want to recommend about yourself or and also, you know, anywhere you want to send people to? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned it during the show, but Indie Hackers is a great resource. I honestly started the company out of Indie Hackers. And now I've come full circle and I was on their podcast last year and I talked to Cortland a decent amount, uh, their founder. And so I think that's always a great resource for for folks that are just getting started and don't really know, you know, where to begin. Like, how do you incorporate a company? How do you charge for your product? Getting feedback on your landing page, I think that's just a great resource. And as you mentioned, we're we're pretty transparent on there, so we share all of our revenue numbers, our website traffic, and different updates. And so, if there's anything helpful for for folks, they can always go check out our Indie Hackers page. And then I also blog on Medium from time to time, just at Ryan Bourne. And I'll typically go deeper into insights there. So like this past year, we started down the process of acquiring a company and we actually backed out of it and decided not to do it. And so I shared the whole journey on there and why we didn't do the acquisition. And so if there's anything that's, you know, of interest, that's that's probably Mm. the best place to dive deeper into it. Okay, interesting. All right. So you've got cloudcampaign.io, you're companies page on Indie Hackers and it was at Ryan Bourne on Medium. Is that the 
Yep, I believe that's it. If you yeah. just search Ryanborn on Medium, it should show up. Okay, we'll put the link in the, the show notes as well. So Perfect. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Yaro. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Yaro's podcast. For more episodes, visit yaro.blog and subscribe on iTunes or Google.